today is the first Sunday in our season of Lent, and Lent is the period of time leading up to Easter, which begins on Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, when we remember that from dust we come, to dust we shall return. And this season of Lent historically has been a time when followers of God in the way of Jesus prepare themselves for Easter through remembering our mortality, through fasting, through confession. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, um, I think the entire year of 2020 was about remembering our mortality and giving things up, and I'm kind of over it. And if that's you, I get it. It's understandable. It's true in many ways. But I wonder if we might all be open in this season to uh, preparing ourselves. And uh, towards this preparation, this time leading up to Easter, our scripture passage today, uh, it, it's really an interesting one. And I think if we have ears to hear, if we have eyes to see, I think there is something in this first Sunday's uh, passage for Lent, I think there's something here for all of us. In this story today, Jesus is in the wilderness. The scriptures tell us that before Jesus began the public portion of his ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness in prayer and in fasting. And it says that during that time in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. Now, that raises some questions for us, like, how exactly did the devil come to Jesus? Was he wearing a red suit? Did he have little red horns? Did, was he carrying a pitchfork? Like, did the devil kind of walk up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I'm the devil, and I'm about to tempt you? Like, how did this, how did this happen? Probably not like that. Probably not in the cartoon way that we imagine in our minds. More likely, the devil came to Jesus and tempted him in the same way that he comes to us through our thoughts. And it's interesting as we look at this passage, we see Jesus is here. He's alone in the wilderness. He's having this solo time with his father. He's thinking about and he's praying about this like upcoming season of ministry in his life, public ministry in his life. And the devil comes to him and tempts him really to compromise his integrity, to compromise the integrity of the mission that the father has given him. The devil comes to him when he's alone. He comes to him with thoughts. He comes to him with this attempt to, to get him to compromise his integrity. And he does not come to him with like this overt sort of temptation of evil. He actually comes to him with what, what we might call, um, what, what Brian Zahn calls, and I love this phrase, a trilogy of good thoughts like some really good ideas, some good thoughts. And that's often the case with us as well. Sometimes 
what tempts us in life initially is not some obvious overt evil, evil that we would go, well, no, I'm not, no, not that. It's, it's often not, it often does not begin in obvious overt evil. It's actually something that it's presenting itself like a pretty good idea. Listen to this section of scripture and see if you can pick out kind of the trilogy, the three good ideas that the devil tempts Jesus with in this passage. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the, dev the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So three good ideas. Good ideas that the devil is tempting Jesus with. We might call these good ideas uh, why don't you feed everybody? Why don't you persuade everybody? Why don't you liberate everybody? Who could disagree with that? Like, they're good ideas. But it's almost like the devil is lurking in the good ideas here. And Jesus, being God, is able to see that, discern that, cut through that to what God the Father is calling him to. So, okay, the first one, the first temptation is to feed everyone. Sounds like a good idea. But in feeding everyone, forget about God. It's kind of, in a way you could say, this is like the temptation to make the kingdom of God and the work of God solely and only about social justice. End world hunger. Feed everyone. Like Jesus, of course, cares about the whole of humanity. He himself multiplies loaves and fishes. He himself feeds the hungry. And he also says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He also says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's almost like we can't embrace the second commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves 
while bypassing the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They go hand in hand. They go together. Now, unfortunately, throughout church history, right, we all know, many of us know, there's like an unfortunate division, divide here. So you've got, you know, some streams of Christianity that have really focused on the soul, conversion, personal transformation, while other streams in Christianity have focused on working to, to care for the poor, feed the hungry, bring about justice and social change. So some of you grew up in churches where it was like, we're so heavenly minded, we're kind of of no earthly good. But what the devil is tempting Jesus with here is almost like the opposite of that. Right? It's this temptation to feed everyone, turn these stones into bread. Like if you do that, mission accomplished. If you do that, our work here is done. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, feed everybody. Like if you do that, that will be enough. Sounds like a really good idea. Who wouldn't want that? But Jesus' response is, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it's like, in other words, as important as as it is to feed everyone, it's not the whole mission, because there's like a reality here that goes beyond what we can see. Second tempting good idea is this idea to like persuade everyone. It's basically about finding a way to eliminate the need for faith. So in this part of the temptation, the devil says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then the devil quotes a scripture. He's going to command his angels concerning you and they're going to lift you up. Just throw yourself off of this high place. And Jesus answered him with scripture also. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What's going on here? This is like the temptation to prove that God exists empirically. Like throw yourself off. Let the angels catch. Everyone will know. Persuade everybody. Show them. And there are kind of two ways in which we tend to try to prove God exists. One way is found in more charismatic streams, and one is found in more non-charismatic streams. So the two ways we often try to, like, prove God exists empirically is, like, miracles or signs, right? If we can show with miracles or if we can show with signs, we will prove God exists, and no one says this exactly, but it's almost like, and then there will be really no need for faith, because there it is, there it is. How can you argue with that? Now, of course, scripture would, you know, I mean, we can believe in miracles and science. These are not mutually exclusive things. The point is that we're looking to those things to eliminate the need for faith. 
We're going to persuade through these things to eliminate the need for faith. The problem with this is that the human capacity to like believe and doubt is an essential part of being human. It's an essential part of our being. It's a part of the free and authentic way that each person in this room and beyond engages with the living God. Like if we do not have free will, then we would just be robots controlled by God. And it's, it's ironic that when you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God giving humans free will and choice is, is obvious. But as you fast forward in church history, we see this like desire among churches and institutions to persuade, right? To convince and to persuade through miracles, through science, that God has given us this space, right, to choose. Frederick Buechner says this, if there were no room for doubt, there would be no room for me. If there were no room for doubt, there would be no room for me. Love always allows space. Love always provides room. Jesus knows that this temptation to persuade everyone, throw yourself off, let the miracle show the world, is not what the Father has called him to be about. And this temptation to like persuade everyone is not what the Father has called you and I to be about either. Because here's the thing, God is the one drawing people to himself. That's God's work. What are we doing? You are to be my witnesses. Like, what's a witness? A witness is a person who kind of says what they see, shares what they heard, tells of their experience. God is the one doing the drawing. You and I, you shall be my witnesses. You shall say what you see. Jesus just says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Such an interesting response to the second temptation. And then the third kind of tempting good idea is this idea of like liberate everyone. So the third temptation is, in a way, it's the most subtle of all. It's when he says, let's go stand and look out over all these kingdoms. All of these shall be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. It's this temptation to liberate everyone. And in a way, it's like it's this temptation to side yourself with power and kill all the bad guys. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So see all these kingdoms, see all this glory, this splendor. You can have all this. 
just bow down and worship him. In a way, this is like, this is the, this is the place where the temptation is to like bypass the cross of Christ and grab the sword of Caesar, right? I'm going to like go around the cruciform life and we're going to grab the power available in this world, the splendor in this world. And actually it's subtle because it, you know, it sounds like another really good idea. Like, it's the temptation to reach for power in the empire and in the kingdoms of this world. It's this voice that says, well, if you can't convince people through, like, revival, then just grab hold of power instead. If you can't bring about change in society through, like, you know, big mass revival meetings then grab political power instead that'll be that that'll be the way if you can't change society through mega churches and stadiums full of impassioned song and worship then you know try to find somebody in a position of power who will get your agenda accomplished whatever that agenda may be let's be honest honest this this is often the energy behind both the religious right and the christian left let's find the person who would have the power to advance the agenda that we think should be attached to jesus it's the temptation really to like justify really like justify the end result justify the means to get to the end. Like if the result gets accomplished, then like whatever means we use to get there doesn't matter. Like if the end result is people get liberated, who cares what we compromised along the way to get to that end? But Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus understood that the means, it is the end in the process of becoming. In the process of formation and becoming and living by the values of the kingdom of God, like the need, like how we get there is just as important as where we end up. And Jesus saw that, Jesus could see that to justify the means along the way, just because there's some imagined good end, is actually to worship the devil, like get behind me, Satan, very strong language there. And Jesus knows this is like a subtle temptation. Seems like such a good idea, but it's not the way to the kingdom of heaven because how we do what we do There is actually another time in scripture where Jesus, we see that same phrase, get behind me, Satan. It's in Matthew 16 where Jesus is talking about, he's predicting his own death. And Peter takes Jesus aside and says, Jesus, never, no, not that way. 
Jesus is predicting his death, and Peter says, no, not that way. Because what is Peter thinking? Peter's like, no, you're not going to die. We're going to fight. No, you're not going to lay down your rights and be embracing death. We're going to pick up our swords, and we are going to win this through violence. And Jesus says to Peter, get me. Get behind me, Satan. In fact, here's the exact words. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter, you don't see the big picture. You don't see what I see. Sounds like such a good idea. And then Jesus goes on said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. This is the way. This is the way. We're going to live a Eucharist way. (laughs) Sounded like a really good idea to, like, pick up power. That's how we're going to see Israel be on top. That's how we're going to get victory. That's how we're going to win. Jesus is like, no, I'm going to take the bread. I'm going to break the bread. I'm going to give the bread for the healing of the world. You want to follow in my way? Then you too, like me, are going to be taken. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be broken. And you're going to be given. And that's how healing is going to come. It's not going to come through the sword. It's not going to come through empire. It's going to come a different way. There's so many themes like this in scripture. There's this other wonderful story related way back in the book of Joshua where Joshua is going into battle and this angel of the Lord comes to him and he says to the angel, hey, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? It's such a great moment because the angel is like, neither. I am with the army of the Lord. Are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? Neither. I am with the Lord. You know, we're living in a, well, I don't know if you've noticed, we're living in a time when being a follower of God in the way of Jesus, it can be really confusing, right? Because there are so many ways in which the name of Jesus is being used to advance a wide variety of very different agendas. But in this passage, in the wilderness, confronted with temptation, we are reminded Jesus cannot be reduced to a spokesperson for an agenda. Jesus will not be the poster child for the left. Jesus will not be the poster child for the right. He's not the poster boy for the religious right or the conservative left. Jesus has his own, he has his own agenda entirely. His agenda is about a different kingdom altogether. And if we're going to follow the Jesus of the scriptures, he's going to challenge our bipartisan ways because he doesn't fit nicely in any camp. 
in this country where we live to follow Jesus will be a challenge to our consumerism. Jesus will be a challenge to our Americanism. Jesus will be a challenge to our individualism. He will move us way beyond. One pastor says, um, like, following the real Jesus is, like, going to move us beyond the easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity of our world. I love that phrase. Right? Because the real Jesus is turning water, his first miracle, he's turning water, plain old water, into wine. To really follow him is to take, like, this, like, weak, diluted life of faith and to see it replaced with like a bold, rich, intoxicating way. He comes and he rearranges everything. He lays down his life. He gives up his rights. He transforms people and things. And if we let him, he's going to rearrange us too. May we follow that Jesus, the real Jesus, into a life so much bigger than the little boxes we try to stick him in. May we follow that Jesus, the real Jesus, who's going to take us into a life so much more bold and rich and intoxicating than little agendas we try to attach to him. May we hear the temptations of the evil one for what they really are, much smaller, much lesser stories. Far less painful. Far less adventure. Far more fear than the power and beauty and intimacy and adventure that is life in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, you are the wisdom of God. You are the way of life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil of the devil's good ideas. Give us new eyes to see. Give us new ears to hear. Your kingdom come and your will be done. What that would look like in our lives, in this church, in this city, in our world. May we listen to the still, small voice that is yours. May we follow the whispers, God, of your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear, to hear that. We love you, God, for who you actually are. So much bigger than these boxes we try to put you in. And so may your kingdom come and your will be done in us today. Amen.